I'm Amanda Leitner, and welcome to Rochester Rising, where we amplify the stories of Rochester entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 226 of the podcast. Welcome to the Rochester Rising podcast. Whether this is your first time listening in, or if you are a frequent listener to the show, thanks for spending some of your time with us today. Rochester Rising was launched in 2016 to tell the stories of entrepreneurs within the city of Rochester, Minnesota, to better understand their business, their journey, and what drives them to be entrepreneurial. We launch a brand new podcast every Wednesday, and an article based on that podcast is released each Thursday. We encourage you to check out both. You can listen into the podcast wherever you listen into your podcast content, but you can also find the podcast and our articles and many more pieces of content talking about Rochester entrepreneurs on our website at rochesterrising.org. Rochester Rising is part of the nonprofit Collider, which is a Rochester-based organization that activates, connects, and empowers entrepreneurs. You can learn more about Collider and our programming for entrepreneurs at Collider.mn. This week on the podcast, I got the opportunity to connect over Zoom with local entrepreneur Nicholas Molina. Nicholas has worn many hats in the community. He's the vice president and director of communications for ACLA which is the Alliance of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Latin Americans. He's also worked with Threshold Arts. He's teaching himself software development and data science. He's also writing a science fiction novel series and building his own business, Tinto Communications. Nicholas has lived in many different places, including Texas, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Columbia, before settling into Rochester. Last year, he launched his business, Tinto Communications, to fill a need he saw in the community. And in case you're wondering, Tinto means both ink and black coffee in Spanish. Now, Nicholas is leveraging his past experience with communications, graphic design, and videography within his business to help nonprofits and other community-based organizations provide communications, especially related to health and other basic needs in multiple languages. On the podcast today, we talk more about Tinto Communications, how Nicholas's past experiences contribute to what he's doing today, his passion for entrepreneurship, and much more. So we'll jump right into the podcast with Nicholas Molina and Tinto Communications. Well, Nicholas, thanks so much for being here today, taking some time to connect over Zoom to talk about what you are doing. So I appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I always like to start, you know, talking a little bit about the person. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about kind of what makes you, you, what are some of your favorite things that you like to do for fun outside of work? So, uh, (laughs) I like to, I have this bad habit of juggling multiple projects at once to the point where it really, it really gets quite stressful. Um, So outside of, I guess, my business, I am the vice president and director of communication for the Alliance of Chicanos, Hispanics, and Latin Americans, also known as ACLA. Um, I work, I do some work for the, for Threshold Arts at the Castle doing event coordination and setup. I've worked with Nora Anderson for a couple of years now in that. Um, I've been teaching myself software development and 
artificial intelligence, data science, kind of for the last three years now. Um, and I hope to pursue a master's in that within the next couple months. I'm working on a sci-fi novel that I've finished and I'm looking for agents at this time. Also working on the second novel for that since it is a bit of a series. <laughs> and somehow trying to make time for, you know, exercise and family life and, you know, being single, I guess. So it's, it's a lot of things. Oh, and sleeping. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we could have fit sleeping in. So I, I had yeah. no idea you were a sci-fi person. That is so cool. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I'm obsessed with it. I watch all the shows. I read all the books that I can. I would not suspect that. Yeah, no, that is that is super, super cool. So you you dabble in a lot of different things, self-taught yeah. or learning a lot. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. I know you're originally from Rochester, right? But what keeps you what keeps you here? So I'm actually not originally from Rochester. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, I've lived in many different cities. Um my family is from Medellin, Colombia. So I grew up between the United States and Colombia. Um, I've lived in Ohio, uh, San Antonio, um, Iowa, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, lived up in the Twin Cities. Um, yeah, and here. Rochester, for some reason, became home base because, well, my parents, uh, they work at the clinic and they've been here the whole time and I've kind of bounced around, but I've found that Rochester is a, it's a very interesting, diverse kind of growing community. It provides a lot of opportunity for growth for um, not just in the medical industry, but for growth for entrepreneurs, for anybody kind of wanting to create a life for themselves. It's a great place to raise kids. Um, I grew up here. I went to middle school and high school here before I kind of left and bounced around. Um, and in that time, it was, a, it was a good time. It was, you know, I had a lot of friends. Everything was very safe compared to a lot of the other cities where I had lived before where, you know, it seemed like my family or my parents had to be watching me here. It was like I could run outside. I could have friends. I could be out, you know, past 10 p.m. playing whatever kickball or whatever I did. And it was it was nice very safe. Um, and so now, you know, the trouble was when I came back after kind of living all these places was Rochester. I wasn't sure would be the right place for me to kind of live out my formative, my twenties and, you know, whatever comes after. But as I said, it is a good place to kind of grow and build on these opportunities. And I've done my best to kind of spend as much of my time doing as much of the things I wanted to do, as I kind of mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Where did you live in Ohio? Cincinnati. Uh, that's okay. where I was born. And then it was, I think it was called College Town. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm just curious because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, but yeah, Cincinnati is the completely other, other side of the state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very different culture than, yeah, East, yeah, the other I guess that would be Eastern Ohio. Yeah. 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 Very different from here for sure. So you've experienced a lot of different places, a lot of different cultures and yeah. Yeah. Kind of settled in. Yeah. Yeah. Cultures, kind of atmospheres, ways of life, you know, like in San Antonio, I grew up, it was all very bilingual. So I went to a bilingual school. And then when I moved here, it was that transition from like, you know, very bilingual where, 
culture is very like focused on the mesh between like American standard American culture and like, you know, Latino, the melting pot of all the Latino cultures. Cause you know, it's all so different. It's not just, you know, Mexico, there's Central America, you know, there's South America, all of that. But it's, it's always, it was just very interesting kind of being able to see all those like shifts and those changes and how they kind of intermingle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you've launched your own business in the community last year. So can you talk about that? Share a little bit about your business, what it is and what products and services you provide here in the community. Yeah. So I launched my business kind of as a, you know, when COVID was kind of really um, taking apart the community, I guess. Um, and everybody was going through the whole process of adapting. And, you know, I lost my job as well. I was working in the service industry um, as a lot, uh, as a lot of people were. And all of a sudden that kind of shifted and it was uh, the company started as my need to kind of create, to do something. Mm-hmm. I like to stay busy. And so it started off by this idea and this, um, I noticed that a lot of aspects, nonprofits specifically, and even government institutions don't have a good means of getting um, language uh, communication, health communication across multiple languages. So I actually found out that um, mosques are actually mosques and like churches among language um, groups is where people get their information. Mm. And I mean, that's, it makes sense. But at the same time, when something like COVID's happening, where nobody could attend these meetings, th- this was large subsets of the population that are essentially going without this information, you know, and like some people might say, well, maybe they should just learn English, but that's tip. That's tough. You know, you're, you're thinking, you're talking about some people here that are 50 or 60 learning a new language. is just not going to be feasible. You have to be realistic. This is just how it is. And so maybe their kids understand, but are their children going to be listening to the most up-to-date news by the Minnesota Department of Health on COVID regulations and like feeding that to their parents? I don't think so. And so Tinto Communications came uh, as an idea, as a solution for this. I um, I went to college. Well, I bounced around. I'll, we can get to that later, but <laughs> I, I finished college with a degree in journalism and communications. And I had a good deal of graphic design experience and uh, videography, photography. And so, you know, these skills, I felt like I was just losing them because I wasn't actively using them in any kind of job. So I decided to kind of combine my talents. I worked with a couple different community organizations um, and I helped them essentially get this information across. I utilized their interpreters um, and that's Mayo Clinic and IMAA, IMAA Intercultural Mutual Assistance Association, um, which I had actually worked with in the past because I had served as an interpreter for about five years for the state of Minnesota. Um, and basically we just created this content, whether it was like graphic design, infographics, animated videos, anything to essentially catch the attention of these populations and get them this information that they desperately needed. And not, and not, and it wasn't just, you know, health information, it was resource allocation. It's like, this is where you can get food because a lot of these families were losing everything. And a lot of the times they had nowhere they could turn to. 
And so obviously each diversity group is close knit within themselves. And so, you know, for example, in the Latino communities, sometimes people just don't reach for, don't reach out for help because that's just instilled in them. You know, we are taught that life is a struggle and sometimes you have to struggle to survive and you shouldn't reach out for help. But um, with kind of my experience uh, with my position at, at the Alliance of Chicanos, Hispanics and Latin Americans, uh, I was able to kind of help uh, give out this information and also create these messages through my own kind of company. And so, um, so I started it up, um, I'd say in a, around April before that I was kind of creating content um, just kind of on my own, kind of figuring out what it all really meant. If I was just going to do this to represent myself or if I wanted something bigger, like a bigger picture. Um, eventually I did decide obviously on launching the, uh, company and, uh, besides, uh, you know, like videos and infographics, you know, I also create logos. I've built websites, um, basically everything for brand awareness as well. And this is all just targeted. And the emphasis of this is just working with multiple languages. So helping get information across these groups and utilizing kind of the connections that I've been able to establish in the local community to kind of get that organic marketing across without having to really spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. And I think you've really narrowed in on a very important niche and with these nonprofit organizations and community organizations, churches, mosques. I mean, those are the trusted resources in the community that people go to and yeah, you're hundred percent right. A lot of these were never set up to have <laughs> marketing communications. I mean, it just wasn't a thing with a lot of churches and, and uh, places of worship before March of last year. So that's where people go for information and uh, the trusted information. And yeah, it's probably not, <laughs> the children aren't probably yeah listening to NPR news and CNN and, you know, relaying that health information. So yeah, very, very important. I saw a lot of your beautiful infographics with the J&J &J vaccine and some of the uh, videos you've done. And yeah, it's a skill, concise, precise communication, especially in different languages is, is a skill and it's, it's hard it's hard to do. I've been trying to do some of our own videos and ugh, trying to use things like biteable and stuff. And it's, I mean, it takes experience and a lot of time <laughs> to, to get good at that stuff. <laughs> it is a, it's a challenge for sure. So yeah, I think you're doing, yeah, a great job. Um, and obviously you have, you know, the skills and background in communications and relationships in the community to, to do it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a growing learning experience on all of those because I was, you know, trained in like Adobe design and Adobe is like the, it's the pro toolkit right there. But a lot of the stuff that I create, I don't, I use a lot simpler software just because Adobe is kind of overkill sometimes, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I still like to try and incorporate as much design and um, aesthetic appeal to it because you know, a lot of these times people are scrolling through and, you know, they're only looking at it for about 30 seconds to a minute. That's the average. So you really want to capture that audience. So we talked a little bit about, or you mentioned how um, you've kind of had a lot of different experiences and kind of 
um, I wouldn't say bounced around. I mean, I bounced around too. You know, I've tried a lot of different things and went down a lot of different paths before getting to where I am now. I mean, you've done a lot in the community from, like you said, working with ACLA to um, uh, IMAA, uh, doing a lot your experience with journalism, communications. I believe you have a degree in psychology as well, if that's correct. <laughs> I, I don't have a full degree, but I'm okay. close, basically. You, you did a lot of studies in, in psychology, but yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your journey, um, how you've navigated through those steps, what you learned, and how that's kind of relates back to today? Yeah, so... I was kind of raised in a very medically focused household. So my parents are doctors from uh, Columbia. They work at Mayo. And I was kind of always brought up to follow in their footsteps. I mean, I remember when I was eight and people would ask me and I would say, I'm going to be a doctor like my parents, you know, it's such a rewarding career in itself. And I always envisioned myself in that. And I envisioned the good I could do with that. And so when I graduated high school, I went to the University of Iowa. I started off pre-med, taking all the usual classes and everything like that. And after about a year and a half, I started kind of questioning my motives and thinking for myself a little bit and decided to try and explore some different uh, options. So I did uh, public relations, I did creative writing, I did poetry, I did psychology, um, anything I could think of, anything that sounded interesting in itself. And eventually, after about three and a half years, I didn't really have anything. I had psychology was the furthest. It was, um, and I was still interested in it, but then I kind of had this kind of quarter life crisis let's just say that and I went back to my idea that maybe I should give medicine another shot and originally before I went to Iowa I had always envisioned that I was going to do medical school in Columbia mm. because in Columbia medical school and college are kind of mixed so it's like a six and a half seven year program where you do your, you know, you start with your, not really gen eds, but you start with your basic level science courses in the first couple of years. And then you move on to like hands-on training in medicine and the hospitals. And then, you know, you eventually work your way up to really, um, the really difficult kind of classes and processes of, um, becoming a, becoming a doctor. And so, um, after about three and a half years, as I mentioned, I, I kind of wanted to investigate this for myself and so at that point, I uh, moved to Columbia and I enrolled in medical school. Um, I did that for uh, about two years. And within that time, I got to kind of experience all aspects of what I would imagine medicine would look like. Um, just to give you an example, it is very difficult down there. A lot of people have, you know, um, people imagine that because it's a different country, it's easier. Typically, it's actually not because a lot of these other countries are trying to compete with, with America. And so they have to make their medical schools extra difficult. So I was taking at one point about 15 classes a semester. I had 6 a.m. class to 6 p.m. Only lunch, only a 30 minute lunch in between. That was the only break. Nonstop classes in pretty cramped rooms with, with like a hundred people in like a classroom, not like a lecture hall, but like a classroom. 
So people would like get there extra early just so that they could get the front seats. You know, it was always a struggle (laughs) and they got pretty hot sometimes with all those people and everything. Um, The medical school had a policy that if you failed one class or got under a C in one class, you repeated the whole semester. So it was very difficult. And they told us in the beginning and they said, by next week, 15 of you will be gone. So I started with about 120 people and they were wrong by next week, like 30 people were gone. So at least there was more room in the classrooms. (laughs) And so I got to kind of witness that. And then, you know, there was also Saturday classes. So you'd have classes on Saturdays from like 6am to like two or 3pm. Um, yeah, basically no breaks. Um, we had tests every two weeks on Monday in a six hour block. You'd have about seven or eight tests all at once. You did all your major ones, physiology, anatomy, um, hematology, you know, molecular biology, Oh man, there was just so many. Um, and kind of living in that lifestyle, it really shifted and kind of taught me the value of time. And so I told you I balanced a lot of projects, but it's because in my eyes, in medicine, I was balancing 15 classes at once. And so you really can have that all the time that you want. You just have to make some sacrifices. And so... For me at the time, I gave up like playing guitar and like exercising as much as I liked to, um, sleeping more than five hours, uh, going to parties and events and restaurants. And it was that (laughs) these were some of the things that kind of um, pushed me away from medicine towards the end. But it did teach me the values of time and time management and, um, you know, emphasizing what you what you want out of the world and making time for it and so after the two years that's when I finally kind of had enough of the lifestyle and kind of really took a look a hard look not just the you know um kind of that gilded image that you create in your mind of Mm -hmm. you know sunshine and you know roses on (laughs) roses around you just like the real look this is this is the sacrifice right And so after that time, I decided it wasn't for me. I came back and I began to kind of recollect my thoughts about kind of what direction I wanted to go into. And so I've always had a passion for writing. Um, And so I, I had tried writing a novel in high school. I got about 150 pages and it was not very good, (laughs) you know, um, it was, it was all right. It was just the first draft. That was the thing. I didn't know what editing meant. I didn't know what drafts meant. I didn't know the process of writing. I just kind of wrote down what I thought would be cool. And this, and that was the story. And then I tried to kind of piece it together because it came out in fragments and random ideas. Um, and so I decided that uh, journalism would be a good way to essentially um, continue the process of writing, but while also kind of doing something that has a higher chance of getting a job. So whereas like studying like creative writing in college would have been amazing. It's tough. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And it's even tough to get a job in journalism. I mean, but it's, it's nearly impossible in like writing unless you have some serious connections in that space or in Hollywood or something of the sort. So, um, I studied journalism. Uh, I, 
I was able to take a lot of interesting design courses while um, one of our like capstone projects was we designed and like our class designed a full magazine. And so that means we worked a lot with Adobe and design Photoshop, you know, we designed the cover, everything, all the graphical elements. We, um, we sold ad space to like nearby businesses for very cheap, basically to just fund the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we printed this and that was an amazing experience. And that is where that class was about the most valuable class that I had because it really taught me about kind of all the different other elements within, um, within creation, within design. Um, and I think, you know, the culmination of all these experiences of learning new things, of constantly wanting to do new things is kind of what brought me and has gotten me here today. And with my business, you know, I'm always thinking of new ideas for launching new products or services and it, you know, everything that I've kind of learned and went through along within my lifetime is, has kind of gotten me to that point, I'd say. No, that's an incredible story. I, I feel the same with, you know, I went through college, went to a college that was way too challenging for me, a very technical oriented college and, you know, went into pre-med, lasted six months, not a year and a half like you did, just because like, I don't know, I was the first person in my college or my, my family to go to college. So, you know, doing pre-med, being a doctor seemed like a really stable thing. And I like hated it. I hated the concept of it, but kept doing it, went through graduate school, got a PhD, even did a postdoc and hated it the whole way. And it was like all to get to this next thing that was supposed to be more stable. And like you said, you know, whatever, the sunshine and rainbows and roses of the unreality that you're never going to get to (laughs) when it's not, when it's not a fit for you, you know? And yeah. um, Same thing though. The time management for me, that's where it came from because I had to have amazing time management or I wasn't going to make it through college. And I certainly wasn't going to make it through graduate school, working 70, 80 hours weeks and trying to, like you said, exercise, trying to have a social life, which was basically non-existent, you know, it's rough, you know, and yeah, taking that time to assess what do you want at the other end, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I wanted to circle back to Tinto Communications. It's like we said, you know, a lot of people listening are interested in starting a business and the first steps are some of the hardest to figure out what they are and how to do them. So for you, you know, what were some of the very first things that you did that might be helpful to hear for other people to hear, even just like your thought process or what were just some of the first things that were helpful to you to get Tinto communications off the ground? So initially, you know, it started all kind of as this, as, as I mentioned, as we talked about, um, I found this, niche niche problem and i figured out a way i could fix it um it doesn't always in my opinion it doesn't always have to be that way sometimes it can just be a passion project um but the most important thing is to essentially create a very very basic outline of what you're trying to do what you want to accomplish um with any laid out any best laid out plans you know you always start with like a very rough idea of kind of what of what you want of what you're heading towards. And then over time you can start kind of modifying that out, 
making it more concrete, more realistic. And so from that, I created kind of my business proposal. Um, with, um, with the business proposal, I was able to, uh, I went to the Minnesota state website. I launched the LLC. Um, I've recently learned that I'm going to be switching to an S corp. I, I was able to speak to a tax professional and I would actually recommend that when mm-hmm. you're launching that is to speak to a, a tax professional or somebody else working in finance to have them describe kind of the differences between, um, um, the partnership agreements, uh, if you have a partnership, what an S corp is, because, um, I just found out that during tax time that affects kind of how much money, um, you're, you're essentially paying to the government for that. Um, and so that's definitely very important. Um, obviously setting up the LLC, I got an employee ID number. Um, the, uh, the state has a lot of resources about how to kind of get through that, but it's very, it's pretty much painless. It's just paying a couple fees and everything like that, getting the paperwork across. Uh, I reached out to my bank and I set up a bank account for the business. Um, I got myself labeled as a state contractor so that I can take contract bids. Haven't had to, haven't used it yet, but you know, I figured down the line, it would be a good thing to have as well, depending on um, the resources uh, or I guess the the proposal or, or the type of uh, business that it is. Uh, launching a website, of course, nowadays everything is linked to website. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that means launching it yourself, there's a lot of like excellent um, types of website hosting services like Wix, for example, is a really, really easy one where anybody can launch their business. And then they even have uh, staff members that can help you with that. Um, I'd say a little bit of research into like marketing techniques or um, maybe speaking or be if people reach out to other people that know about that, if they have family or friends that work in marketing, um, basically just about getting your website printed in the internet because it's surprising. You think it's just, you know, you just launch a website, you're going to be there, but there are actual techniques and something called uh, SEO search engine optimization, which is how your website is ranked. And so that means that if people say I'm looking for a graphic designer in Rochester, you'd rather be one of the first few results there than like at the very end with no reviews, you know, all of this is important and there are a lot of resources out there um, to learn about this and at least give yourself some basic uh, ranking in the Google algorithm. But I think it's very important and it's for everything. You know, this is, you can have a tree trimming business. You can have, uh, you can have a legal practice. You can have a food truck. And if people can't find your website, if they can't find your hours, if they can't find what you're selling, they're just unfortunately not going to come to you unless you have a good word of mouth as well. And so I guess it's that combination of organic and paid marketing. So yeah, you can pay for ads, but there's also a way you can do it for free. It just takes a little bit of time on the business owner's end and patience. You know, we're all kind of making this up as we go along. Some people have been doing it a lot longer, you know, and some people are a lot, have a lot shorter time on that. But I, you know, it's a, it's kind of about growing. It's kind of about learning. And it's for me, that's the most exciting part. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel a lot of people think like I set up a website and launch it out into the internet and like people are just going to flock to it. And that just doesn't happen. Like you said, you have to look at your SEO, you know, watch some videos, read some stuff about it, or, you know, work with a professional if you are able to do that, which is often hard sometimes, but you know, yeah, there's a lot of information out there. It's just taking the time to uh, soak it in too. It sounded like, you know, getting started with your business, getting your first clients seemed like maybe that was from prior experiences or word of mouth, maybe, um, would have been for you, what have been some useful ways that you've been able to connect with those first customers? Well, um, I guess, I mean, it kind of fell on my lap a little bit. I, I used connections that I had to essentially kind of pivot myself into, um, reaching out to these organizations and offering them, Hey, listen, I know you've got a problem and here's the solution. Um, Basically, I knew a couple people that uh, worked at the Rochester Healthy Community Partnership. Um, that's a project by Mayo. It's a research project, but they've been doing a lot of the, um, uh, they've been working a lot with the uh, minority populations in Rochester. Um, in the past, they've done diet tracking and uh, essentially education for um, all these diversity groups. But they've also done a lot of work in the um, coronavirus educational space. Um, and at the time they were desperately looking for anybody that could essentially create these messages, um, for them. And at the time it wasn't paid in in any way. It was just, they, you know, they just said, this is happening. You know, people are dying and people need to know. And, you know, hopefully down the line, we can get some funding and we can, we can compensate you. And at the time, you know, I said, I don't have a lot else to do. And I, don't mind helping people out and everything. And so that's initially where I started. I started just kind of creating some of these messages. And, and for me, it was also just about exploring my like artistic side. It's a, it's a different form of art. I typically write, um, you know, sci-fi, but like, this was like visual elements and um, design principles and color and aesthetics. And it was, it was wonderful just kind of being able to do that and also kind of get these like important uh, messages across. Um, and so I would say, you know, and it's tough. It's, it's about, sometimes it is about who, you know, so whatever um, in whatever business space you're kind of operating, you'd kind of want to know who your competition is and also how you can kind of utilize your business to solve some of the problems out there. Um, so for example, if it was like a restaurant and you were launching something different, I mean, that's, that's awesome. You know, Rochester has a lot of great restaurants, but we still have space for a lot more different types of food. And, you know, it can be fusion. It can be food from a different place. It can be kind of your own personal style, but find kind of a problem, create the solution within your business and kind of utilize your connections or whatever it may be to kind of, essentially be able to give that to the people that need it or want it. Um, yeah, I'd say from RHCP, that's kind of where I started. Um, Akla as well. I started kind of as the director of communications. They didn't have a valid, they didn't have a working website up. So I had to kind of go through and gather the fragments of what was left. Cause they, they once had a website and due to some, um, 
contracts and um, hosting hosting contracts that they had with another organization. That organization had kept uh, the um, the website address and everything, and so they were kind of stuck in this. We either pay them a lot of money and they control our website, or we, you know, detach and launch kind of our own website that we can control ourselves. And I have some website ex- uh, web creation experience from my own learning on uh, software development. So I said, you know, this is going to be a good project for me because I can create something from my learning and I can, um, and they'll, they'll pay me for it independently. Um, so those are kind of the beginnings of Tinto, I'd say, is just me kind of trying to find these solutions for these problems that I could see. And, you know, I was making them very cost effective because I was just essentially establishing kind of myself and my brand and uh, what Tinto would eventually become. Um, yeah. And from there, it's just been kind of finding projects. You really have to keep your ear to the ground. There's always somebody looking, you know, and so you just have to find these people, establish these connections, uh, establish your brand name, make sure people trust you, you know, make sure that people will want to come to you and be like, this is the person, this is who I want to do work for me. And when that happens, it's a lot easier to kind of get your um, your foot in the door in future opportunities because people will start to hear about you and people will want to work with you. So like you said, you know, you kind of always have to keep your ear to the ground, listen for needs that you can fill. And that's challenging sometimes and can get, you know, <laughs> um, can be kind of difficult. And know with a lot of people you know their first year of business is very hard <laughs> um just you know coming up with solutions working through them um especially as a solo entrepreneur so how do you uh, you know I was a solo entrepreneur and it, it's hard <laughs> you feel so isolated so for you personally how have you kind of persevered through some of those challenges that you've come across in the past year Um, yeah, it is incredibly tough. (laughs) There's really no, you know, there's no support a lot of the times because especially if you establish yourself as the go-to people are going to assume that you know how to do everything. And when you have questions, it's, you know, who do you turn to, but yourself. And so, um, I've always been an avid believer that almost all education that you could ever want or need is in the internet. You just kind of have to find it. There are like goldmine sites, you know, there's things like Coursera, Udemy and stuff like that, where you can learn a lot of excellent skills and you can, you know, Harvard um, education X, there's a lot of free courses where you can kind of learn that stuff. Um, So I've used a lot of, uh, I've learned a lot from YouTube university, if I would call it that um, for a lot of the problems that I had. Um, I've, you know, I've utilized kind of the connections that I've established, um, as I said, to kind of sometimes just get my foot in the door um, to be able to even have access to these opportunities uh, for work. But it has been hard. You know, it, this first year, I have a day job for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as much as I would love Tinto to be my sole focus. It's um, there's a lot of competition in this space that I'm aware of. A lot of it is excellent and they produce amazing work, but it is, um, 
but I do believe that mine has its inherent value, not just because it's mine, but because it does kind of fill that niche that we've spoken about. Um, I think it's just about perseverance in the first year and even the years after that it's perseverance. And also, you know, if that's, if this is the case, it's finding like-minded individuals. I have a couple people that I'm, you know, hope to bring on in the future. I was hoping to do so already, but you know, things change. People have kids, people get married and especially with volunteers, you know, you can't really <laughs> make them force them to, to give up their own time for that. So um, sometimes it's about uh, evaluating your time, pushing back projects if need be, emphasizing growth in other areas, sometimes areas that are under your control and just being patient with yourself. You know, it's tough. It's tough for everybody. Yeah. yeah even, yeah, even long, um, long serving companies like have like daily issues or have issues adapting to changing circumstances and economies and, you know, what motivates people. And so mm-hmm. patience. Yeah, definitely. I also have a degree from YouTube university. There's a lot on there. <laughs> a lot of really good stuff on there. <laughs> um, so one question I always like to ask people, um, you know, like you said, you have a full-time job, you have a lot of other things that you're balancing and you continue to pursue entrepreneurship um, through Tinto Communications. So why do you keep coming back to this? What draws you to entrepreneurship and owning your own business? Well, it's, uh, I guess it's my baby in a way. You know, I created this, I want it to succeed and thrive I'm sure there's a bit of ego in there about, you know, creating something for yourself and, um, you know, wanting to be successful in that. But uh, mostly I just I just enjoy something that allows me to create and to learn constantly. Um, Life is kind of a journey. What I figured out in everything that I've done is that I just enjoy learning and growing within that capacity, Um, creating, designing you know, art in all of its forms, growing as a person, learning about finances, you know, it's everything. It's all encompassing. Um, And it just, it gives my life meaning beyond the nine to five, you know, feeding the corporate machine. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's creating your own journey. This is the, you know, this is the modern wild west, you know, we might not have something as similar to that in our lifetimes, but this is where you, you know, you go out, you create your own future, you know, the future is for those people that are willing to take it. And I'm one of those people, you know, and wherever that may be, you know, I, you know, this could be something giant one day or it could not. And I'm okay with kind of both. Obviously I'm pushing for the latter, but in the meantime, I'm willing to kind of uh, grind for it and learn from it and kind of push it to all it can be. That was my last question for you. I'll ask you for any final thoughts and where can people find out more about your business and connect? Yeah. Um, you know, again, life is, life is a journey. You know, I've said that a lot of times. And I think I, I'm a pretty good (laughs) measure of that since I have kind of bounced around or explored a lot of different options. Um, a lot of people, I think, think that, um, 
everything has kind of this final destination with everything with work. Like, you know, there, you know, there's your, what's the final step going to be like, am I going to retire somewhere? And I, I don't like to think about it like that. That scares me actually. Um, anything where I have to really think far down the line scares me. Uh, I'd rather think of kind of the day to day stuff. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. This is what I'm going to do next month, you know, six months from now, where can I take this business? Where can I take myself? Where, where will I be in a good way? Um, and so, yeah, so as I said, it's just kind of personal growth. There's a lot of resource out there. You want to kind of make yourself the best. You don't have to be specialized in like everything, but know a good deal about everything, you know, take yourself to a C level, B level and everything. You don't have to be your A plus unless you really want to. But as I said, learn about um, all the different resources for marketing your business out there. Um, we talked about, yeah, people assume that like if you just have a website, that's enough. I've seen companies or restaurants that just have a brick and mortar and they fail within the first year because they don't realize that it's not just about setting up shop. You know, you have to figure out a plan to get people in your doors. And that means uh, website presence, uh, social media presence, if if you can, honestly, um, essentially convincing people that they want to come in your direction and convincing them that you have something willing and valuable and worthy to sell to them. So, uh, yeah. So just kind of take some time while you're planning out your business to figure out all the tools necessary to get you where you want to be, you know, website, SEO, design, videos um you know you can do facebook news blogs you can launch a print blog just have kind of a means of getting followers people that like you fans people that become loyal customers and establish yourself as a trusted worthy you know likable presence out there um and now to kind of wrap it up here uh i'd say if anybody wants to reach me i'm at tinto um for anyone that's wondering tinto means both ink and black coffee which i think are very fitting in spanish <laughs> so that's black coffee is is the lifeblood of this company and the ink is, is the medium by which everything is created. Um, Tintel LLC, otherwise we do have a Facebook page as well. Um, and if you've seen, if you've witnessed some of the, if you've seen some of the um, coronavirus education, just watch for the little logo on the right uh, corner, right bottom corner, if, to see if it's marked by us. So... Well, Nicholas, thanks so much for this conversation today, sharing your journey. It was nice to connect. I think we met in person like right before COVID yeah. started and then like have, you know, talked online or for, through Zoom a lot of times since then. But yeah, someday things are getting, things are getting yeah. better again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, would be, it would be nice to, to see you in person again. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for, thanks for the conversation today. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
Thanks so much to Nicholas for sharing his story, having this wonderful conversation with us today. You can find out more about Tinto Communications through the links in our bio and check back in on the Rochester Rising website tomorrow. Just read the short article based on this conversation with Nicholas. That's a wrap for us at the podcast today. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us today learning more about entrepreneurs building, scaling, and growing their businesses here in Rochester, Minnesota. It's a huge help to us if you rate this podcast wherever you listen in and make sure that you're subscribed so that you and others never miss a story that we share on Rochester Rising. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode.